Honestly, like, I I, I mean, what's, what is on your mind? You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I'm, I'm, it's, I know you live like neck deep in this, in this material. So like, I get that that's like part of your substance, but like, is, is, you know, I I guess beyond the Laruel work and, and I guess, aren't you doing the Bergen too? You're like doing multiple translation projects. I mean, that's, that's down the road. Uh, Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. You know, so like I, the current, I'm still, I'm still reading that, but yeah, I mean, I eventually Bergen, Veronique Bergen's book on Deleuze's ontology would be, would be, uh, hopefully That's so freaking rad. Yeah. No, I yeah. I mean, it's, it's 800 pages and, uh, it's, it's, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's definitely a, a the most scholarly work, uh, in terms of, uh, the the basis of citation, you know, I mean, Watry has a lot of footnotes in the machine unconscious, um, as opposed to, like, say, Laura Well, who has zero footnotes. That's just his aesthetic. That's his. Uh, it's more than aesthetic. That's just his kind of theoretical stance on scholarship and citation. Uh, he he prefers allusions over citations. And then Simon Don, you know, has has kind of he's kind of in the middle, but Bergen. You know, in that 800-page book on Deleuze, uh, it's got 1,066 footnotes, and some of them are meaty, <laughs> beefy <laughs> footnotes. Um, yeah. But that's just, you know, she's. I mean, some of the footnotes are just are just like ibid, right? Because she's citing Deleuze. Uh, I mean, you know, on virtually every page, maybe not every page, but you know, she's she's citing his work, and so um, really she's showing her work as, you know, mathematicians might say, right. She's, she's, she's showing where to go in the source material for, uh, these arguments. And sometimes she'll, she'll have block quotes, which of course, you know, are going to be, um, but she, she also draws from a lot of other, uh, thinkers and, and cites other thinkers include not limited to secondary scholarship on Deleuze, but, you know, um, you know, she, She'll cite uh, Bergson and, and and Spinoza and and even Badu and obviously all the uh, a lot of the thinkers in the milieu of of uh, of Deleuze and uh, and of course um, lots of Hegel because one of the, the main things that she's kind of arguing is that like Deleuze is the dark night where all the flowers are black for Hegel and vice versa right but it's it's the it's it's like what is what's the that's so fascinating like an Apollo Dionysus figuration yeah. almost right yeah that's right so so for her the vice versa has to be read um kind of without contradiction right so that so that like you know Deleuze Deleuze doesn't contradict Hegel or or the other way around um, that that she really wants to like go into go down this rabbit hole where um we 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 trek Deleuze's articulation of 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 the problems with uh with Hegel and that a lot of that's laid out you know in difference of repetition and the way he concludes it um and then she goes down the other rabbit hole of of well let's let's give 
Hegel his his due. And then at the in, in her conclusion of the book, she um, sorts she kind of like puts them into into a, into a kind of melody and a kind of counterpoint, and it's and so it's it's kind of testing. It's like putting putting the the Lysian, um, reading of Hegel to the test. Right. And I think that's, I think Deleuze would appreciate that. Right. Because, you know, uh, it's this, um, it's this productive reading of philosophers where it's the maximal, you know, it's the maximal difference, right. It's the, it's the bearded Hegel. Um, so, so she tries to, she tries to imagine, you know, a bearded, a bearded Hegel, a bearded Deleuze and, uh, and kind of juxtapose them. Uh, so that's, that's a lot of fun. And I think that's why, uh, her work des- deserves, uh, attention and, and, and deserves, deserves to be translated. Um, but, but yeah, right now I'm, I'm still working through the, the Laura Weldon on standard philosophy. And so it's this, this interesting, this interesting idea wherein, uh, philosophy has sort of um, it's sort of always existed in this macroscopic self-sufficient vein wherein all philosophies are, are, are like these these uh, these little corpuscles and and Laura wants to sort of take some devices some conceptual frameworks from from quantum physics from abstract algebra in order to uh, reduce philosophy in, in what he says is a, is a kind of like a, a double transcendence form. He wants to like uh, perform a square root of, he wants to multiply philosophies like by the square root of negative one, you know, like the, using the imaginary number to, to, to reduce the, not to take away all transcendence, right. But to, to simplify it, to, uh, to simplify double transcendence and thereby um, reduce it to this particulate form to it to the particle form that can cohabit the the available space of a of a waveform you know and this is all i think this is like the culmination of this this desire to kind of flatten philosophies um sufficient and thereby like warmongering nature and by warmongering you know like laura has always said that you know, any particular philosophy is always going to be kind of, uh, you know, just spontaneously in conflict with other philosophical systems and statements. And, um, because they all lay claim to reality, they all lay claim to like, here's the way life is or existence is or reality is. And, and so they are incompatible with, uh, with one another. Um, you know, just as I was, or, or they turn it, 90 degrees and say, here's, here's what I imagine things could be. We have visionaries and prophets too. Right. And like, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's interesting to me. Like the, this, cause, cause there's a futural dimension to Laruel that I think is interesting. That reminds me of Derrida. It's like, we have to, we have to like give space and time for, you know, for the science to come, for the philosophy to come, for, right. and, for, and for the religions to come, for the revelation to come. Yeah. Um, but the the thing about the ninety degrees, I was going to ch- ask you about Lacan and Larwell, but he, don't don't let me interrupt your presentation. No, the, the ninety degrees is perfect. It's the quarter turn. 
right? It's, um, you would probably be able to articulate this better than me, but you know, it's the quarter turn of, um, you know, you can imagine the X, Y coordinates and, um, and so it's, you know, performing, um, these operations with the square root of negative one, you can kind of imagine this, this sweeping of a 90 degree angle, um, in these operations and, 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 and so, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, but, but, but beyond that, it's also this question of, um, I mean, for, for Laura, well, he's always kind of thought, uh, that the, the kind of the movement, the swing of, um, reversibility is, uh, is it has to be rendered like unilateral kind of like unidirectional, uh, or just directional, you could say. And I think this is, I mean, to go back to Derrida, I think this is part of, um, you know, this is part of the interesting thing about, about deconstruction. You know, I mean, Larwell has always been interested in a, in a kind of a generalized deconstruction that would sort of apply to, to atextual forces. And it's this, this notion of, um, sort of a, you know, what he used to call it, a, a libido of writing. But now, you know, one might call it, um, you know, this, I mean, for example, like he, uh, he was, he talks about, um, like philosophy as, as, uh, you know, as the flash of the logos, as this, this, uh, this sort of light form that, that has confused that which eliminates yeah, Taylor, that which, yeah. you're, you're break you're breaking up really badly. Can you can you recapitulate maybe the last 20, 30 seconds? Sorry, yeah. No, 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 no I'm sorry. Real. I am okay now. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it was internet network sounded stuff. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, um, yeah. Let's just. I guess. I guess the thing that. Sorry. No, 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 it's not your fault. I, I'm. Uh, I'm gonna get closer to my. Because I'm upstairs. So, this question about, I guess what I would say is, I'll let you fill in some dead space. Here, you. Yeah, I, I mean, well, the, so the thing I was going to say before that I couldn't quite put my finger on um, was w when you like, <clears throat> you kind of unpacked the the warmongering dimension of philosophy. And I, and I always think this is a, it's, it's a, fa it's a fascinating theme. And I think, I, I believe Deleuze says this somewhere. I, I could be wrong. It could be someone else, but that philosophers are the cause of war, even if they're not the ones who ultimately fight them, right? They're not on the front lines. They're not the militants and revolutionaries who are going to, risk sacrificing their life um, for the idea in the last instance, 
I mean, those are saints, you know what I mean? Like that, that like actually do that for a philosophy or something like that's right. a, you, you, there's another level, right? The philosopher stands like right next to the saint or something and like, doesn't set themselves on fire for the, for the idea. Right. Um, the way well, the that, saint I mean, is like yeah. begging to do it or something. Right. I mean, that, that's, that, I love that you say that because I mean, this gets back to, you know, in, in the, in the third era of, or, you know, in the third instantiation of non-philosophy, philosophy three, Laura goes into these notions of heresy and, and he'll say that, you know, philosophy has never had, it's never truly had its heretics, you know, and that's not, that's not to, that's not to, uh, I mean, I mean, and part of what he, you know, one could think of Giordano Bruno, but to a certain extent, he wasn't, um, he wasn't burned at the stake by la philosophie, right? He was spurring at the stake because of, uh, because of the church. And so the problem though, is that philosophy itself has, it has its church forms. And this is, this is the warmongering thing where each philosopher lays claim to this, um, to a certain closeness to reality, to a certain closeness to, you know, the appropriate image of the real uh, it's you know barring certain thinkers that larwell sweeps into his orbit who haven't yet fully formalized and axiomatized it you know like deleuze and derrida it's always with an eye to exclusion it's always a dis you know an exclusive disjunction wherein you know other philosophies are excluded hegel proceeds this way of course you can just see how he pits Schelling and Fichte against each other and kind of stands on their shoulder to um, to say that he's worked he's worked out the kinks in their uh, the, in their disagreements. But by doing so, by sort of um, the church form is that any schism, any sort of break, right, with the preceding philosophies or philosophers is always constituting a new orthodoxy and so like non-standard thought i think for laura well or non-standard thoughts non-standard philosophies in the plural would each sort of um produce a schism without reconstituting a an orthodoxy however and that's that's the difficult that's that's the part to be formalized that's the part to be theorized and and performed right it's how does one produce heresy and thought um and a, a kind of like a yeah. safe schiz, schismogenesis of the idea like right a, uh, like mm-hmm. one, one that doesn't shatter the subject or or alternatively make them dogmatic you know i don't know right without it's that's the question right it's the um and this is partly his analysis it's always been his analysis of sufficiency of like philosophy's sufficiency is what sufficiency for the real is, you know, if you want to be long winded about it, uh, is what automatically causes it to found itself to auto found itself as, um, as orthodox or a different way as, um, as believing in itself as in the real, right. That, um, now there are obviously like 
certain radical, or I mean, there are certain like forms of this that come close to the radicality Laura Well talks about. I mean, we can think of certain forms of skepticism and even nihilism, but for Laura Well, those proceed by way of a, a type of negation that isn't, isn't the minimal negation required for this heresy. It's, it's more of an absolute negation. We can see it in either like a negative theology or like a henology, or as I said, in these forms of uh, cynicism, which really are denials of like epistemology. And, and I think that, that that's not quite what Laura Wells looking for because um, for Laura Well, epistemology isn't to be denied. It's to be, it's to be a hermeneutic resource. It's an, it's, it, it, philosophy is like a material. It's an assistance. It, it is the sort of, linguistic form that um sort of hermeneutically guides us and 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 provides these occasional materials that that can be reworked and can be uh sort of operated upon you know uh with the tools granted by uh quantum mechanics and uh and abstract algebra and we've talked about this a little bit but you know Obviously, one of them is superposition. So this this notion of of superposing waves without canceling them out. Um, you know, you also have complementarity, right? Complementarity between the wave and the particle. Um, but for Laura Well, it's a unilateral comp- complementarity, right? It's like a, you know the complementarity of the one and and uh, philosophies or the one and being, as you might say. But being is like is under the one, right? Or eminence and transcendence. Yeah. Transcendence is under they're, eminence. They're complementary because t- together they make a whole. It's such an abstract operation, complementarity. I wonder if you could, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you or you're no, about no, to unpack no, no. it. You're, you're good. I mean, it's, they're complementary. They're complementary in that they, I mean, one can, it's kind of like a. It's kind of like right with the photon, right? And, and we've talked a lot about photons. You've talked about sort of the infinite rapidity of light and all these other things. It's it's you know in complementarity, one can look at the at the wave. One can look at the photon. They both coexist, but you can't look at them both at the same time. And I'm using this very you Got, know, loosely. gotcha. Okay. I mean, I'm just trying to think of like complementation as a generic operation and like you can't get at the complement without going through the, the space you're embedding in, you know what I mean? To like do, to do the, to subtract yourself from it. That's what a complement is. You know what I mean? Like you're anyway. No. Yeah. So, so, um, so the, yeah, the, the point would be, um, complementarity without commutativity right so it's so the one is not commutable with the uh with philosophies or philosophy even in its reduced form right that in its reduced particulate form all these philosophies see this is the introduction of democracy and the thought right like by by reducing their corpuscular form and there's which is their sufficiency, they're able to participate in a waveform superposed idempotently, you know, um, as quote unquote, the same, which can all, they can all serve to describe 
the one without constituting it, right? That the one is indifferent to its descriptions, right? It's uh, a, no, it's, it's complementary to the, no, I appreciate it. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, and so it's, it's, this is where, you know, philosophy serves as material. It's a hermeneutic resource, it's a hermeneutic aid to saying the one, but this is only allowed, at least for Laura Well, at least if, uh, if we, if we move to the non-standard terrain, if we move to a generic science of philosophies, if we have sort of, um, that, that it can only do so axiomatically. And this is what he calls the or axiom, right? So if, if the one can be described, um, it has to be said under certain conditions. And, you know, um, obviously condition one is that, as I said, the, the one is not communicable with its descriptions. It's indifferent to them. Um, and thereby those descriptions don't, constitute the one right this is already to move beyond the sufficiency of philosophy which in its saying um the one or the real or being etc it you know it legitimizes itself of itself it authorizes itself it uh it founds itself and by founding itself in its sufficiency you also have and this extends the the war right you don't just have a war among philosophies but uh concerning the real but but as a as a side effect or as like a, a byproduct uh, it's not really an epiphenomenon it's like a it's like a co-phenomenon you you also have a you also have this desire to found science and we've talked about this a, a little bit but the epistemology again to come back to it is is one of those uh that concerns itself strictly with this right and um you can see this in Kant and Heidegger just most uh, most succinctly and that, you know, um, metaphysics being the handmaiden of science sort of, or, um, or Heidegger, you know, uh, the point of ontology is to kind of ground the sciences in their crises. It's precisely the crises of the sciences that requires in his mind an ontology to found it. Um, and to some extent you can also see this, and the way Badu, um, you know, severs ontology from philosophy and renders it exclusively to mathematics. And uh, Larawell finds this amputation to be, um, to use kind of a metaphor, it's, it's to use a, a double-edged sword or a double-edged uh, butcher's knife where one needs a scalpel. And it's precisely this, con the constitution of a, of a, of a generic scalpel, so to speak, that that uh, Larwell tries to um, articulate, because for him, if non-philosophy, which he now calls non-standard philosophy, to avoid confusions, right, because it's not about negating philosophy, if if it is to succeed in its usage of philosophy's materials, it has to conserve philosophy's identity, right. This is part of the scalpel. I mean, different philosophies, identities, right? As particles, they don't, they don't all just combine into a, into a, into a mush. They, they each respectively sort of harken back to their origins, but, you know, and at the same time, um, 
one doesn't intervene in philosophy. One doesn't try to argue with philosophers and try to try to transform them. This, this as, is so. This is yeah. such a beautiful vision. This democracy and thought. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but like the. No, please do. It's like it's it's like an Avogadro's democracy, isn't it? Like it's like all these tiny particles. I don't know. Like somehow finding a way to commune with the the wave that's piloting between all of them. Right. And it's in this cosmopolis that science and of that the and eventually the proper science of the ideas, like the transcendental science of mind, that like all these you know, psychologies are kind of like groping in the dark towards, you know, like the proper laws of, of the construction of, of minds. I guess that would be like, you know, the edge I would want to bridge here. And like, I, I, you know, between, you know, science and, and philosophy is like the question of the mind, which is like, because like, it's, it's from that point of view that, that both of them are like still, you know, these disciplines that don't yet have the right, granularity the right scalpels to to dig in to the even the shape of the problem like our mental models and categories both for philosophy and science to to court you know what i mean like aren't ready you know i don't know and so and and, and i anyway it's interesting no i mean it's it's uh you're i mean you're 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 right it's um this question of of What's that? I was going to say the mind. What do you, yeah, I was just to try to pull together what I was saying. I was like, what do you, what do you, th- what do you think? Well, like, I mean, this, is, this is question, there a connection there? Yeah. I mean, this question of, I mean, the whole book, right. Uh, the whole book of non-standard philosophy. And in many ways, a lot of Laura Wells writings has been focused on what he calls philo fiction. And so in, in many ways, um, the whole book is an experiment and, and he likens it, you know, to an experiment. Um, and it, it, it's an experiment of like slamming thought particles together and, and in this, in this generic collider and, and seeing what, uh, what comes out in this, I love it. in this, in this thought experiment. Um, or really, what he'll he'll actually distinguish what one would call a thought experiment from what he calls an experiment of thought. That uh, the generic collider sort of throwing together these these thought particles um, is is an experiment of thought. It's a it it, it occurs you know, by dint of the, the force of, of thought, right? By, by thought force. And, um, and so, yeah, that's, I mean, that's where the mind comes in. And really all the, the point about the philo fiction is that, you know, from the very beginning of the book, he's, he tries to say that, you know, the, the problem for the reader is you can't just be thrown into the midst of the experiment without certain, Without certain tools, without you know certain uh, equipment, without certain um, pre- preparedness, the experiment has to be prepared. Not just for the reader, but but obviously for uh, you know for the you know for for the for the employment deployment of non-standard thinking itself. So what the philo fiction comes in is to say. 
you know, to the reader as philosopher and or as physicist to sort of be charitable with the usage to be made of philosophy and physics that, and the point being, it's not about intervening in quantum mechanics, obviously, which is beyond Laura Wells' competency, and he claims that, right? It's not about trying to correct quantum mechanics in quantum mechanics. It's not about trying to correct philosophy in philosophy, which is a fruitless task. It's a, it's a, uh, it would merely be another philosophical uh, operation. It'd be another uh, conflict. And the struggle is elsewhere um, for Laura Well. You know, if there is struggle, and for him there, there is, there, it's, it's a struggle of uh, concerning, you know, generic humans, right? It's, it's, um, it's a struggle concerning mankind. And in, and in, uh, and in French, it's, um, it's literally like the human genre is, is, so it's the, it's the genericity of, of, of humans that is, that is at stake, um, at least concerning philosophy's exploitation and in-source settlement, as he'll call it. It's, it's, uh, hallucinatory and illusory um it's an illusory exploitation of thought that renders it transcendent with respect to its own sort of protocols and, and workings and that transcendence devotes thinking to um as i already said some of the the main enemies are you know sufficiency um and this is why uh he he identifies the two the two um, initial reductions to be performed are against the principle of sufficient philosophy, which he's already formulated for many years, but also the principle of sufficient mathematics, because he will look at certain of the quantum, um, the, the great quantum thinkers like de Broglie and Bohr and uh, Heisenberg, of course, just to name a few, and and sort of point out the residual uh, philosophical kernels, uh, but also the residual sort of, uh, mathematistic kernels, right? So that, that, that it's not a question of philosophizing everything. That's precisely one of the, the enemies, but the, the flip side to, to mathematize everything is, ha- has its own perils. And both of them sort of are impediments to thinking, even even at the same time as they seem to provide a, a launch pad for thinking, and they do, and they obviously have have certain benefits. Uh, but those benefits uh, outweigh or actually, you know, they seem to open thought up to these these perspectives, but they actually limit it to to a to a certain circularity. And um I love I love that. Yeah. Sorry. Do you, no, I, do, no. No, please, please, please go ahead. If you had, I know, I know you had more, more there, but um, I kind of wanted to pull it back around to like, to that question of humanity's genre and like, yeah. is philosophy an authoritarian genre of writing? Like, is that, is that the primary critique Laruel's leveling basically is that it's like, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I guess maybe to bridge to possibly a different discussion topic and we, we could obviously circle back around to this, but like, but this notion of like getting people on the record at some, at some level, the law isn't much more than this. You know what I mean? Just like trying to force people to tell us what the hell they're, they're thinking um, and possibly shaming them or refuting them, refuting the way they're thinking. 
and somehow writing it down, forcing them to say it out loud and writing it down. Like the stenographer is the point of the trial because they get it all. They get, they capture your way of thinking, you know, your way of being in the world, your, your individuality. And th- and that, that powers the law, like these specific cases, you know what I mean? The law, the law can't be written in a specific enough way. Like it's, it's generic of necessity, you know, because of the way an authoritarian command is formulated, you know what I mean? So it's like, so you, you need like all these specific cases to spell it out. I'm just thinking of the law as a genre of writing, but like how, how useful it is to get people on the record to like, to shame them into explaining their, their stupid ways of thinking and their irrational ways of being and like, and like how powerful this was in human civilization in ages past. And obviously I just sound like a tragic prophet or something saying like how we've lost all of our shame, but it, it does feel like we've lost, like philosophy has lost its like power and like its force of thinking of like a forcing thought, if that makes sense, because people don't respond to Alentius anymore. They're not shamed by a logical refutation. Um, this is a much, I guess, different kind of problem in a certain way, but like, I, I like, you know, if we no longer respond to the authoritarian genre of writing that philosophy demanded, like, is it is that like the idea that like we'll get some other kind of genres to come? Like, are we already kind of maybe seeing seeing hints of it in theory fiction and all this kind of thing? Right. So, yeah, I mean, this notion of, uh, I mean, you mentioned this before the podcast. This notion of a of of futurality and Laura well will also call it messianity he'll he'll talk about you know we we mentioned earlier about the you know the the slamming together the five particles well there's there's also this notion of these of these thought amplitudes and and for for Laura well he'll talk about um you know he'll talk about futural or virtual amplitudes and uh and the whole point, I think, for him is uh, is is you have on the one hand you have philosophy's subject, um, which becomes in a certain way um, it's it's you know in a certain way it's uh, it has all the problems of you know, of philosophy to a certain extent that we talked about, right. It's, it's trans double, doubly transcendent in the sense of, of, of self-reflexive, um, and it's corpuscular, et cetera. Um, whereas the generic subject after the various reductions, um, it would be, as he said, advanced or futural with respect to the latter, with respect to the philosophical subject. Now, for him, this is a question of 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 cloning, and it gets very uh, interesting. But but what's uh, you know it gets very involved, and we can we can go into that in a little bit. But the the point of the the generic subject uh, in its futurality, I think, harkens back to to a to a notion he's been you know talking about for for a while, especially when he was going into. Um, when he was going into discussions about, you know, uh, mysticism and, and religion and these other uh, aspects in, in philosophy for, you know, the, the decade preceding this book, uh, particularly like the future Christ, right. Where, 
you know, this, there's always this notion of, uh, the, there's a notion of an eventuality of thought, uh, of a, of the to come, right. Of the advent of, of, um, you know, of, of, of messianity, this, this whole, po this whole notion of, um, sort of the future as sort of the, it, it's like the, the wake of the, of the, of the wave of the, of the tsunami that, that sort of lifts the, the, the transcendental thinker swimmer. Um, it, you know, it's, it's always sort of, sort of to come, even if we experience it's the, you know, even, you know, even if we experience it's, uh, it's, it's initial, uh, recursions before the, the sort of last instance that, that, that never seems to, uh, to quote unquote occur. But, uh, I mean, really the, the point is, is this is what he calls undercoming instead of becoming, right? This is what he talks about, um, you know, talk about underdetermining, undercoming. This notion of the under, I think, for him is is sort of synonymous to a certain extent as a prefix for. Uh, I, I love this. this you know, is, yeah, the transcendence is always go, go, over go or super uh, or hyper. It's um, you know, it's like uh, can I can I tell you something I hear in it? So. I guess one of the things I hear in that is like possibly a theme about repairing foundations. Like, it, I mean, it's kind of an etymological point, but like, you know, perfect doesn't mean without flaws, right? It means that the, the foundation is solid, that we can build upon it, you know, that it's something that, that is robust and, and we can, you know, can build erect structures, you know, that, that will be stable. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I don't know that idea of like coming from underneath. I, I mean, it, it just struck me that it has this socio-political thing as well in these sorts of times of like providing grounding within the, the social fabric and, and thinking about the, the, the fortune of, of, you know, those that, that, that have the least and, and come last in the social order. And like, how can we make, how can we turn things, uh, you know, 40, you know, 90 degrees so that they come, they come first according to, but, I, but I mean, I guess that is like the messianic political vision that powers, you know, Marx in one way, um, mm -hmm. just like of, of equalizing all the particles at once, but it's sort of clear that doesn't work immediately. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like Marx is compelled to like, construct all these like middle phases that like make it possible that dissolve the superstructures, but, but they don't come from the other direction. And maybe this is, maybe this is like is anarchist theory or something. And maybe I don't, people say Deleuze participates in it. I'm not sure I see it, but just, just the idea that we could, I don't know, kind of sur surmount society from the other direction from like the society, not, not from the city, but from the hinterlands. I don't know. I feel like this is one of the, one of the themes of like political discussion of the past few decades is like 
horizontalism versus kind of localism and verticalism and like, you know, how do, how do we like organize these dissolute struggles and, you know, and, and, you know, with the masses that could be empowered by them. And anyway, I, I, I don't know, like, and I, I just, I keep having this thought that like what's missing are like truly generic tools that like, this is what, the, the monopolization, the capitalization of telecommunication, internet technology is meant is that we don't have the truly generic tools and services for like connecting and communicating. Like everything's metered and rated and powered by ads and like sculpted today in this really deep kind of gruesome, like personality manipulating way. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know, but like, again, a generic application, I, I don't know what I'm really talking about there, but like, I just keep thinking that like there, there should be a universal directories and, and like, I guess the internet is this, like it's, it's not that it's isn't and that it's not possible to build these things or that there aren't like alternative networks that realize them. Anyway, I feel like we're f- far from water well somehow, but like in some ways I, I feel like I'm prefiguring something like a transcendental computer, you know, like something that can kind of think through human society and all its interconnections and, you know, sort of end to end and like formulate rational approaches for each of us individually, you know, like kind of, you know, dechaotize the market by applying intelligence to it. Um, it would be, you know, like this would truly be taming the inner beast of our civilization, you know, like getting a hold of our own, of our own growth, you know, like this is one of the things Deleuze says about the market. I guess I'm on a different point now, but like that, like, at any given point, you can kind of like reason about its structure. Like it's a machine, everything fits together, but like end to end, it's irrational in the sense that at least the sense I'm thinking now is that like, it takes this thing that humans produce, which is like value and caring and positive affects and feelings in the world. And like, it somehow ramifies that through like all, like in the schizophrenic way through all the materialities in the cosmos and like accumulates this global index of value and like creates like fungible units that can be divided and distributed out of it. And it achieves this wonderful, miraculous thing um, of like, of, I don't know, making possible human collaboration. Like what other motivational schemes, this is kind of a, a dark or reactionary question in some ways, but like what other kind of schemes other than capital can, other than bribery, I guess, in the last instance, but like, can convince people to work together. I, I guess I'm like, I'm, I'm prefiguring forms of organization that don't exist. This, 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 I guess is, does, do you think any of this connects with what Laura Wells is talking about futurality? Like how much of this material, what do you, what do you think of this? What I'm saying? Well, uh, yeah, I, I mean, your, your point about, about what, I mean, you're asking you're asking of an interesting set of questions. This question of of a sort of a, a micro political um, sort of desiring pulsion that that could that could sort of cause or found collaborative, you know, um, work. It it is this. Um, I mean, very much so, uh, you know, it, it very much so has this notion of a, of a, of a futural aspect insofar as that which kind of stands in the way, or at least that which mediates it, um, is, 
is, as you said, the market or capitalism or however you want to, um, you know, however you want to describe it. And so, you know, um, I mean, in many ways, the, the, the sort of the major motive of, of what would be to come in terms of this collaboration would be, you know, um, you know, one could call it communism, right? It's, it's, you know, that, that, which would, that, which would come after, um, a violent revolution, withering away of the state, etc. Um, and you know, I mean, and 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 it's interesting, you know, with, with when someone like Badu says, you know, that 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 there is this essence of communism that can't be um, alighted or or argued against based on its failed instantiations. I mean, I think that that's, that's, that's to me, like the clearest definition in my mind of at least like uh, a political definition of fidelity in Badu's terms, right? This, this notion that the essence is never exhausted by its, its instances. And so in that sense, even, I mean, in that sense, you know, it's, it's this question of, of this futural form of collaboration that can never be you know, in, in terms of generic humans that can never be defined by its present, right? I mean, we have, I always like to kind of come back to this notion of, of uh, in order to form a more perfect union. And and then and, and that to me, to my mind, is that like perfection is never um, reached in the, you know, in the, uh, in the present, right? It's, it's always to come. It's always, one can never rest on one's laurels. And you can see this even in the and the, and the the notion of the prefix, there's always a a through. There's always more of the tunnel that we haven't, uh, more of the trajectory we haven't crossed. And it's um, sort of part of the danger is is uh, is this is a certain idleness or stagnation. I mean, Nietzsche talks about this very clearly and very poetically. You know, this is part of the reason for light feet, part of the reason for also for, um, you know, I mean, um, Guattari lays this out in schizoanalysis, right? That like the last principle of schizoanalysis, which is actually the first is that like everything, everything has to be collapsible. Every principle has to be held suspect. And Freud too was very good at this, you know, in, in, in the beginnings, at least when he's saying that like, you know, a science in its, because for him, the, the science of psychoanalysis was always to come. And it's always about, you know, everything in this speculative moment has to be uh, able to be revoked and, and collapsed and shouldn't coalesce into a, uh, a sufficient uh, ground lest we, lest we sort of uh, become complacent. And, and, and Larwell does the same thing with... with um, you know, the, the notion of non-philosophy generically translating sort of philosophical terms into these, um, and, and into sort of, uh, conceptual symbols, um, or into these particulate forms, you know, he, he has all kinds of them, right? Like, uh, you know, uh, one of the one time without temporality or, uh, the live without life, 
etc. All of these quote unquote first terms that are transformations of of, of philosophical terms into uh, sort of unilateral non philosophical language for him, like the 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 rehandling of philosophical material into these new words or terms, these new first terms. We also have to sort of relentlessly submit that language to enforce it to this uh to this re to a retranslation lest we sort of reify them once again into into philosophical concepts um which which would be sort of self-evident due to their their own sufficiency so that's i think that that's part of the futurality of philofiction itself too right or or one could say just of non-philosophical language is that it's um sort of its its form is always is always in a in a futural amplitude it's always sort of um it has a front and a slope and we have to we have to ride the wave of that that slope and we never reach the last instance yet it sort of has always already that you know underdetermined everything from its wake um and again, that's that's partly metaphorical, right? But Joe, are you there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm here. I, I it's, you may have it, been talking a little bit earlier. I I may not have heard the last things you said. No, no. I I I, I, I think you got it. Um, I I I was listening pretty intently. I mean. I, I, I mean, I guess I just come back to this idea of like, what are the, like, it, it, there's this explicit regime of the untheorized, right? Like the presently untheorized, like forms of organization. And, and I mean, and the flip side of them are the organizational schemes that power them. And again, it's, it, it uh, I, I suspect it's, it's not, entirely for a lack of psychoanalysis, although it's, it's kind of interesting, you know, that like capital is largely in some ways adapted, you know, like itself to try to a- appeal more to a, a certain, you know, psychologically manipulable side of human beings. And that like a lot of the current media environment is, you know, like there are these identities that are brands and they, they take up a lot of people's consciousness and, um, I mean, this is, this is, there's something about like what's happening to the commodity form and its relationship to the human mind. That's like, it's interesting. And it's sort of at this moment with computation where intelligence itself is sort of becoming like, like this, this measurable commodity that we can like package up. And, and it's, the interesting thing is that like the computer computability, like abstract like computer platform time is basically free, but then all the services that run on top of it, like it's not, it's not free. It's just like incredibly cheap. Um, But then there's all these services on top of it that like have these monopolized walled in kind of systems, but the underlying resource they live on is, is, you know, it's electricity. It's like, it's basically water and air at this point. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, So I, I, I don't know. Like, there, I, I guess I, I'm curious about, like, on the one hand, like mutations in human subjectivity due to the advent of computation, like, 
on, on the one hand, just like writ large. And then two, like, you know, related changes in the structure of the market and capital. And it's just increasing kind of like dislocation from itself. Like, I mean, that's the thing about so- like software and like these technologies is that like copying a digital object is as basically as free as it gets, you know what I mean? Um, and so like this mode of production, like tends to reduce like certain points in the value chain to zero so that they can like start floating around and detach and they become their own independent things. And it, it, it really like makes a soup of particles out of all the productive capabilities that were locked into these really tight configurations. Right. Um, and so it decodes basically all of human culture as like, as a means of modifying the material world in various ways. Right. Like it decodes it all into a flat spectrum um, and then like begins to analyze it. Like, and I guess this is the thought that like, we're not far from transcendental computer, at least in the sense of uh, something that could reason end to end through human society, like right. transcendental in that sense, you know, like we're, like capable of hinting at a universal, a universality that's like representative of human generosity. And, you know, the applications written on that kind of infrastructure really would be, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I, I like this. I mean, um, I mean, this, this notion of, of computation and also this notion of software is, is very uh, is very apropos here. Um, Larwell actually describes the generic matrix or the generic collider um, as as having hardware and software. It has computer-like aspects, right? So you have the hard material side of the, the three inputs, which are the materials of construction, which is uh, philosophy, quantum mechanics, and 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 uh, generic science, right? Which is sort of their complementarity, and then and then of course the wiring of the three those three inputs, and then you have the the soft side of the software, which is the algebraic um, side of the imaginary number or idempotence and unilaterality, and then you have the philosophical software, which is like, you know, you could either it's either the transcendental, right? It's just like a generalized or formalized Kantian transcendental right of the aesthetic um, and the, and the transcendental, or you have the, the metaphysical, which would be more like classically platonic, you know, one being other multiple. Um, but, you know, it's not a mechanical or algorithmic machine, right? Like, like the binary computer. It's uh, um, it, it, it invents and produces the non-reproducible with the reproduction of knowledges as simple means and occasion. So it's, it's, it's interesting, right? It's, it's, it's not the production of reproduction per se. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's this, um, you know, he still calls it like, he'll call it a, he still calls it like a non-textual deconstruction, right? That's how you, that's the first stage, right? Getting, non-textually deconstructing philosophical corpuscles to get uh to get to get these particles um these knowledge particles or these thought particles and um you know it's it's then all about constructing or showing um like how how each of the the three blocks of knowledge or each of the three inputs like work together and and form sort of a, a vectorial linearity of the wave right and i think that this is why 
not only this book, but all of his books have a kind of kaleidoscopic fractal um, perspective, right? Where he'll talk about it as like um, each book and each paragraph even, or each subsection in the book um, is like a re-rolling of the dice or a reshuffling of the cards. And in, and in, in this movement of, of sort of, of radical, of radical chance rather than, uh, rather than absolute chance where everything is kind of played out beforehand. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of the times, a lot of the times Larwell does like resort to, what it could be described as metaphor. And I think that um, that's, you know, that's worth dealing with and worth um, sort of pointing out. And I think that like, um, you know, it's, it's always a question of the metaphor submitted under like, as you would say, theory fiction, philo fictional uh, aspects right that the the metaphor is is not is is really just a way of allowing for the reader to uh to concretize some of these some of these quasi images of 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 the generic yeah, I love it process to suit to suture themselves to the to the experiment Right. Right. And it's, I mean, cause I, I think that's the, that's the problem to a certain extent is, you know, even the, I mean, in French, there's two words for wave, right? There's, there's one word, um, that is much more suitable for the waves that we talk about, like in physics, right? The wave particle complementarity. But then of course there's, there's, there's physical waves. Um, and they have another word for that, which is, you know, and so Laura will, um, will move back and forth between the two words, um, which are distinct in French, but not in English, because we, we also use the word wave to describe the waves of, of the ocean. And so Laura mobilizes, um, these sort of maritime, um, illusions, these maritime metaphors. And he'll, you know, he'll even talk about the, the thinker as a, as like a transcendental swimmer. And it's, you know, we have sort of our head is, is, is both above and below the water uh, at the same time. And the whole question is sort of a, there is a sort of, one could say a quote unquote non fatality, right? This is, this is part of the the crux of being born by sort of these uh, these waves of futurality, and um, and it's, I mean, for for Laruel, it's um, you know the the three Kantian questions, right? Which um, you know, what should we do? What can we know? What, for what can we hope? Um, it's, I mean, for Laura, well, these are, these are slightly modified 
and um, <clears throat> in in non philosophy and a problematic non philosophy, um, because it's also what can we invent with through thinking, and what would a a true invention be? He used to call it a simultaneous like invention discovery. Um, that that's that's cool. I yeah. Love that. So what can we invent discover? in a way that would be that would be radical and and not merely uh positive you know in the in the sense of science yeah would be an invention do, in do, thought do you do you mind if i ju- yeah, jump sure. in with a thought like the that I, I think one of the things he says that like i i found the most moving in that vein has been about like bioluminescence and like this this metaphor of like creatures in the deep who generate their own light instead of kind of using the borrowed light of the sun. Um, which I, I really appreciated that. And I, so I, I guess the thing just on this question of like Laurel and metaphor, like while you're on it um, and like, don't, don't let me totally derail your, your thought there. But I, I kind of wanted to ask about like the, the notion of non-philosophy as an abstract or the equivalent of like an abstract art movement, kind of abstract metaphysics and and just I guess maybe more generally his his presentation of logos as a blinding flash strikes me as an interesting kind of like in that context of like a generalized non representationalism. Um, and insofar as that's really it, like to your point, there's a lot of metaphors. I'm not sure. I guess to, to what I guess I'd be curious in light of all this, like what you make of the the idea that it's an abstract art movement or, or to, to what extent I'm even capturing that correctly. Like how, how have you, how would you state what he said in that, in that vein, if it being like almost right. like surrealism or something? Like that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. The, the question of like he, he does talk about sort of um, the photo ontological nature of philosophy um, this notion of, he says, uh, he says something kind of beautiful. If I can, before I like quote it, it's just one sentence. I'll, uh, I'll try to answer your question of, of, um, of art. I mean, he, he, in, in the dictionary of non-philosophy, he, uh, he does talk about, um, He does talk about what one could call non-aesthetics, and of course, that's not the negation of the aesthetics. It's it's the sort of um, it's it's not in the same sense of, uh, of non-Euclidean, right? And and uh, and for him, just as I kind of said earlier, there like non-philosophy and and even non-standard philosophy as a as a singular is 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 actually misleading because it is it is not meant to be sort of a unitary phenomenon or or, or sort of dogma it is it is it is open to experimentation right it is open to um to uh, it's user you know it's 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 user friendly there's a community uh, one could say it's it's modded uh so to speak and and so the inputs of the sort of the, 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 the generalized deconstruction of, 
philosophemes of of philosophies of philosophical statements and systems, etc. They're they're all um, sort of open to this invention discovery I said earlier, or this experimentation, this philofictional aspect, which would then mean for him he describes like the concatenation, the inclusive disjunction of these as as like little fractal islands um, that kind of spiral out and 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 never sort of uh they don't cancel each other out like like you know in the imminent waveforms they're 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 sort of sounds open. like the, ar- the archipelago yeah they are uh, right so so um so in that sense like the generic translation of philosophical statements it's ends up producing um sort of a, a non-aesthetic aspect you know as a as a consequence and um you know, it's, uh, it's in that sense that I think, uh, that I, that openness that I find, um, but to, to the question about the, the flash, um, the, let's see. So he says, Light was in the world and illuminated the world, but the cosmos that saw the light in a mirror and borrowed it believed itself to be the light and did not know it. So that was the, uh, yeah. And what is that? Is that, is that Laurel? Yeah. That's from non-standard philosophy. So this Uh, is so cool. This is, uh, he says, um, He says, the science of the flash, right, of the flash of light, of the flash of the the logos, which is what he calls philosophy. The science of the flash has been interpreted on the unitary cosmogonic model as both expansion and retraction, and thus his ecstatic model has been that of the wavelength as phenomenological distance. He says, this results in a double errancy of interpretation on the one hand, as a corpuscle rather than as a wave, and on the other hand, as a withdrawal or return to itself after the initial stream. We are taking back up the problem of philosophy's radical origin based on the undulatory nature of its flash because philosophy has been a premature or unscientific interpretation of its own physics. And he does yeah. kind of say like... Is, is this, yeah. Of its own physics. Is this not auto science? Is this not That's the right. transcendental science? Is this not the transcendental science of the construction of, of scientific minds? Right. Do you see like that? That's the double transcendence. It's the, the scientific model of the scientific mind. Does that make sense? Right. Yes. Is that, how close is that theme here? To, do you think? Of the, you're saying of, of auto science, how close is it's it? Just, sorry, I'm making up that word. That's like, a, no, no, a, no, it's a, fine. A, it, it works. But re, maybe restate, restate the question. The, of a transcendental psychology. Like this is a classical theme, theme in speculative philosophy of right. Hegel, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, like the, the science of the laws of the mind that like that Freud was said to have realized and and neural networks are said from another direction to have realized and sort of, they don't work. You know what I mean? One describes a spiritual machine and one describes a soulful animal and they're still not the same thing. And I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I think that, 
there's there's still a formal transcendental science waiting to come. I think right. you know whatever. I'm, yeah, I'm dancing he, around he, it. He kind of likens it to the way astronomers. I mean, okay, so the way that like the way of looking back at the origins of the universe, um, and the way that we look back, you know, astronomers can look back at the at the birth of the universe. There's a way in which there's an analogy or a certain minimal metaphor of um, where thought is looking back at the birth of philosophy. He says there's an analogy or a homology between the birth of the world and the birth of philosophy. And, um, and, and the point that needs to be conceived the, the the crux of the issue is is no longer to to participate in this in this looking back of thought in a physical or simply or, or in a simply ph- philosophical or physical way right because that gets back into a kind of temptation of metaphor um and this is where i think he says that you know we have to turn to a generic quantics of philosophical light, right? That it's, um, it's only this, you know, access to a, a, a sort of a, a quantic vision of philosophy's primordial birth that we can avoid a kind of, um, a kind of vicious circle. I mean, this is, um, I think this is where the imaginary comes in too. I mean, the way that he uses the imaginary in the sense of the mathematical imaginary, you know, it's, um, it's, there's this imaginary source where philosophy and quantics like originate together, but they follow distinct paths. And so it's, it's really generic science that allows us to see this, this diversion, this deviation, this gap between the two and, and sort of plot the, um, the modulus and the phase of the two and be able to like yeah. superpose them. If that makes sense, right? Like, no, that's, that's, that's beautiful. That brings us, you know, basically right back around in a, in a certain way to, to, to where we started with this, like turn, turning the world 90 degrees and, mm-hmm. and, you know, what is, what is the imaginary, what is the imaginary function? And it's like, it's, it's kind of interesting that like Lacan kind of arrives at something like a formal science of the mind between, with all, you know what I mean? Diagrams for the university discourse and all, do you get what I mean? There's like this insane level of granularity to it. Um, It's just fast, kind of fascinating. The guitar comes from that too, and sort of makes a diagrammatic mechanology of, you know what I mean? Like, um, so it, it sort of maximizes these mathematical dimensions. Of, but anyway, sorry, I'm 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 pulling you into another black hole. No, that's fine. When I, I, I should be happy enough that we've come around to a reasonable like circuit, um, and we should we should definitely take a break regardless. Um, oh sure, yeah. But that's, that's a good did, time. Did you have any? Break. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it.